So I mentioned this morning uh, that we're starting a little bit of a new series, and we're going to be really quick because, of course, we've had a lot going on today, which is exciting and fun and great, and I'm going to do this kind of quickly. But each time of year, this time of year, we take a little bit of a pause, and we just stop for a minute. Whatever series we're in, whatever we're teaching through, we just put the brakes on it, and we stop, and we, we ask ourselves and remind ourselves as a community, who is God calling us to be? And we look at how we've lived this year, we anticipate how we're going to want to be in 2020, and we talk about vision, and we talk about who we believe that God is calling us to be as a community, and we just take a moment and we draw breath and we say, God, we trust you and want to follow you. It's a time to reorient our hearts, if you will, as a church. It's a time to give way to our vision, to push it to the ground and say, God, where are you leading? Jesus, you are the head of this church, and so we want to follow you. And so we take a few moments And we open these weeks up to just saying, God, where are you leading? And we cast a little vision of what we believe God is going to do in 2020, or at least where he's leading us. We don't put specific pins in things and say, we're going to do this and declare a bunch of stuff. We just simply say, God, where do you want us to be as a church? Like what part of chasing you spiritually are you pressing us into in 2020? And then that begins to funnel the way that we dream and think about the year. And we do this every single year. We stop and pause for the, at this time. It's an important time when we do it, the kind of time in November. On the 21st of November, we will be eight years old, right? So in like church years, that's like a thousand. Like we're like really old, right? Because for most of us, we weren't sure we we're going to make it past year one. And then year two came and we thought, wow, we really snuck one by everybody, right? And then here we are eight years later, and God has been incredibly and amazingly faithful. For those that have been along this journey with us since day one, you recognize the significance of that. For those of you that are just joining us, that may not be that big a deal. But this has been a labor of love for eight plus years. And God has been ridiculously faithful. And not just in terms of we've been able to have space, but just in terms of the hearts that he has brought into this place. It's unbelievable. And so we pause to celebrate that and to look forward and to dream about what God is doing. And every time we do this, I sit here and I talk about the idea that I have one singular heart, kind of heartbeat for us as a church, and it never changes. And every time we begin to talk about where we want to go and what God is doing, we use this kind of underlying idea to say that I want us as a church to be a biblically, to have this biblically-based generosity that defines us. I want us to be known for it. I want you as a kind of a part of this community to be known for it in your neighborhoods, in your workplaces. I want you to give your life and your heart completely away. This community is not really about what you can come and draw from it. It's really about what you can come and pour into it. And we want to be generous with our life and our time and our resources. I know that some of you are sitting out here going, I know where it's going. Dude's going to ask for money. I can already feel it. It's in my bones. And I'm cursed because every time I walk into a church, it's what they're doing. Well, the truth is we're not, so you can rest easy. Uh, we're not ever, we don't ever really talk about money anyway, and we're not really talking about it today. But that is the idea for a lot of us, right, is that there's just sort of this sneaky exchange that the church makes. The truth is, we just put all our cards on the table and say, this is who we believe that God is calling us to be. And we want you to be generous with your life. Right? I don't care if you give your money here. We want you to give your life away. The truth is, this church doesn't want one dollar of yours. Not a single dollar. We have made it eight years. God's incredible faithfulness has brought us that far. What we want is for you to let go of all those things that you're clinging so tightly to and just say, Jesus, what if I believe that everything I have and everything I am belongs to you? How would you change the trajectory of my life? We begin to think about being biblically generous with our homes, with our time, in our marriages, with our children. We begin to think differently about our lives. So for the next three weeks, 
using Jeremiah 17, I'm going to work on it a little bit here this morning, we're going to unpack what we believe that means for us as a church. And we're going to attach ourselves to some, some vision words that we're going to try and anchor ourselves to in 2020 um, to really say this is who we believe God is calling us to be. And so this morning we're kind of stepping into this series that we're just simply calling Roots. The idea is, what if we attached ourselves to things that really gave life? Because we attach ourselves to a lot of things, and a lot of those things steal from us. They steal time, they steal joy, they steal resources, they steal our energy. And we're going to learn and see this morning and for the next few weeks that if we attach our lives, if we grow deep, real, true roots that attach to things that matter, God will flood us with rich, true abundant life. And I'm not talking about blessings of material things. I'm talking about true, abundant, joy-filled life. And we're going to see it side by side uh, today with what the alternative is and where most of us truly live. And so for the next three weeks, we're going to explore that, and then we're going to fly into Advent, and it's just such an amazing time of year. So we're glad you're here this morning. If you got your Bible, I want you to open to Jeremiah chapter 17. For those of you that aren't super familiar with Jeremiah uh, the prophet, the two-cent version, is essentially this. Jeremiah was a, uh, he, he had a very difficult task. For 30 years of his life, he basically proclaimed to Israel, the southern kingdom of Judah, of Israel, that if they didn't turn from their wicked ways of idol, idolatry and worshiping man-made idols that, idols, that God was going to essentially crush them. That was his entire message. That if they didn't turn from their wicked ways, from worshiping the things that have been made by human hands, by trusting in themselves, then God was going to release them and their enemies were going to come and wipe them out. And that's exactly what happened at the end of Jeremiah's prophetic ministry. That the southern kingdom falls to the Babylonians in roughly 586 B.C. and they're carried off into exile. If you're familiar with church history, you know how that whole process unfolded. Well, Jeremiah's ministry took place for 30 years leading up to that moment where he declared and cried out to Israel, begging them to turn from their wicked ways, believing that if they did, God would grant them incredible favor and he would forgive them. But Jeremiah also knew that they wouldn't. It was stuck in this stark reality that he believed if they turned, God would forgive them. But he knew in his heart they would never turn. And so his message is anchored in sort of the promise of hope, yet the reality of sinful hearts. And it's an incredibly important theological book because it's a great reminder that if we follow our own hearts and our own way, it will lead us to destruction. It will lead us to a path that ultimately ends in death. But if we turn and repent and we cast our trust upon the Lord, put our confidence in Him, He has promised us this incredible life. And so it's not the words for a nation. It's essentially words for those that follow the Lord. And I found myself as I was really going through this over the past week or so, deeply convicted of my own life, that I have put so much hope in me, so much confidence in me, and it is leading to a place of destruction. So if you've got your Bible, I want you to turn to Jeremiah, and we're going to really briefly this morning look at this contrast about a life that truly trusts the Lord and a life that puts confidence in the flesh, and we're going to talk about the idea of spiritual growth and our deep desire for 2020. So as we do that, we're going to take a moment and pray, ask God to teach our hearts, and then we're going to dive into this text uh, briefly this morning um, so that we can explore what that means. Let's pray together. What an amazing Sunday. All the things that make a community a community, Lord, are kind of wrapped up into this day. Worship, your word, 
promising as families to do our best to honor you and raise our kids, promising as a church, whether we're families or not, or just a single or, a, or whatever, just to love the people that you've put in our life, to look at these kids as gifts, and not just the kids, but their parents, to love them, to talk about the idea that you've been faithful for the years for this community of fledgling people that just stepped out one day and said, Lord, we want to follow you. And the difficult road that that was and still is, but the way that you have protected and provided and led has been staggering. And this morning we get to stand up and we get to look together at a passage that is convictingly beautiful about trusting wholly in you. And so this morning, Lord, we just come before you as a community and we ask you to teach our hearts. Take a moment right where you sit and just ask the Lord to teach you something new this morning. It doesn't have to be earth shattering or crazy. Just God, teach my heart. Take a moment and pray for someone beside you. We do this each week. We want to be a church that's in the habit of praying for other people. Everything that unfolds here on Sunday morning is not about you. Be in the habit of praying for other people. Maybe it's your spouse. Maybe it's no, someone you've never seen before. Just risk with us. Take a moment and just ask the Lord to move in that person's heart. Lord, we believe and trust that you are a God who is just so good. That you promise to never leave us nor forsake us. And that, God, you promise that if we put our trust and our confidence in you, that you will give life. God, we believe that. We trust that. And we ask that in the risen name of Jesus, our Savior and our Redeemer. Amen. So like I said, we're going to do this really quickly this morning because I want to honor everybody's time. We're going to see Isaiah, or, uh, Jeremiah lay out a really simple comparison this morning. A comparison between someone who puts their hope and trust in themselves and what man has made or in their own ability and someone who puts their hope and confidence in the Lord, what those look like and what that promise is. So if you've got your Bible, I want you to turn to Jeremiah 17. We're going to start in verse 5 and go down through verse 8 this morning as we talk about what it would be like to have roots that were planted and driven down to streams of living water. Listen to this. This is what the Lord says. <clears throat> Cursed is the one who trusts in man, who depends on flesh for his strength, and whose heart turns away from the Lord. He'll be like a bush in the wastelands. He will not see prosperity when it comes. He will dwell in the parched places of the desert, in a salt land where no one lives. But blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. He'll be like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream. It is not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought, and it will never fail to bear fruit. So Jeremiah is calling upon the Israelites to basically turn from their wicked ways, to quit putting their hope and trust into things that man has made, that humanity has made. They were worshiping idols. They had given themselves over to believing that they could be their own providers, protectors, and purveyors of success. And Jeremiah for 30 years is declaring to them, turn away from the lies and trust the Lord. And they would say, no, we got this. We can take care of ourselves as a nation. We are strong. 
Yeah, things are hard, but we can work our way out. And Jeremiah would say, no, you can't. And not only can't you, if you try, God is going to remove certain things from you. And so what he does is he quickly compares two things. He's going to compare those that put their trust in things that man has made and those who put their trust in what the Lord has made. And he lays them out very quickly. And he says this in that first section. He says, cursed is the one who trusts in man, who depends on the flesh for its strength and whose heart turns away from the Lord. So he says, cursed is the one who trusts in man, who turns away from the Lord and puts confidence in the things that man has made. Now, if you've got to understand this language a tiny bit, because Moses back in Deuteronomy says a whole series of things where he basically says, begins every verse was cursed is the one, cursed is the one, cursed is the one, cursed is the one. He's basically setting up a series of obediences and disobediences. If you're obedient to the Lord, God will bless you. If you're disobedient to the Lord, God will remove his blessing. And so Jeremiah takes the language that Moses had used in Deuteronomy, and he brings that language right here to the Israelites, to the southern kingdom. And he says, listen, if you won't hear me, hear the words even that Moses has used. And he says, cursed is the one, right, that puts their hope in the things of man. And he partners that up with, but blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, who puts their confidence in him. And so he quickly puts these two things together. Cursed is the one who trusts in man. Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord. What you see in the contrast is super simple. If you trust in the Lord, if you're obedient to him, your life will be blessed. If you trust in yourself and the things that people have made in your own ways, you'll be cursed. And really, cursed here just means that God will remove his blessing. Now think about that for just a moment, right? That stark contrast. Is God trying to punish the Israelites? Is he trying to punish you and me? No. He's being an incredibly grace-filled, loving father by saying, if you pursue your own ways, if you chase your own paths, your own things, if you put your hope in idols, things that man has made, I'm going to withdraw my blessings so that you will repent and return. It is an incredible grace-filled process that God has with the Israelites for their entire existence. That he promises to protect them and provide for them. Israel puts their hope in themselves. God withdraws his blessings. Israel cries out to God and God rescues them. They turn for a while and then the cycle begins again. And it's the same incredible, graceful promise that's for you and I. That God loves us so much that he won't allow us to just simply destroy ourselves. That he doesn't just throw us out. He doesn't just cast us out to our sinful ways. But he removes his incredible blessing and he says, I want you to know what life apart from me looks like. And we cry out to him and God in his incredible ways steps in and he rescues through our repentance and our confession. What Jeremiah is saying is that when you put your hope in you, when you live according to the ways of the world, do not expect God to give you his full blessing. I have run headlong into this my entire life. I have lived in a way that has tried to honor me. I have lived in a way that has tried to pursue the things that I think I can do. I've tried to bail myself out and build my own kingdom for my entire life. And I run headlong into God saying, I'm not going to honor and it does come in the form of huge punishment. It comes in the form of God removing his blessings and saying, Trev, I want you to have true, real life. And without me, it's not there. And listen to how God describes it, right? 
This is how Jeremiah says God describes a life that has been, his blessings have been withdrawn from. He will be like a bush in the wastelands. He will not see prosperity when it comes. He will dwell in the parched places of the desert in a salt land where no one lives. This is what a life looks like when it tries to build its own kingdom. When it tries to put its trust in itself to believe that the things of the world will provide our happiness and our successes. He says God removes his blessing. And this is what your life will be like. It will be like a bush in the wastelands. It won't see prosperity when it comes. And it will dwell in the parched places where no one lives. Think about that imagery for a minute. Parched, dehydration, struggle, desperation. The reality is that a lot of us live here. We try and draw life from a place where Jeremiah says no one really lives. It's a salt land. Because life apart from trusting and living in obedience to the Lord is a death sentence. God removes his blessing and we live in desperation and dehydration. I mean, I know most of us would not like to admit that this is where we are, but if we truly look at our spiritual lives, would you tell me that your spiritual life is one of overflowing abundance? Or would you put yourself in a category a lot like me that says, I deal with a lot of thirst and dehydration and desperation, trying to draw life out of a land where life does not come. I bang my head against the wall of saying, God, I have got this. And God says, Treb, I pull my full blessing, and I want you to see what life is like without me. It's dry and it's desperate. It's like a bush in the wasteland. It's just there. It just exists barely. And for a lot of us, we've lived in this reality. We feel like our spiritual life just barely exists that we go from one hardship to another hardship to another hardship just to feel like the avalanche keeps coming. And we keep saying, if I just pursue this one relationship, this one thing, this one more financial goal, then it will all work out. And guess what? When we get there, if we ever do, it doesn't work out. Why? Because we put our trust in the things of man, and it says that we turn from the Lord when we do so. And if you're waiting for God to bless that, you are going to wait forever. And most of us have been waiting way too long. Listen to the contrast. So Jeremiah says, but listen. For those that put their trust in the Lord, blessed is he, right, whose confidence is in him. Listen to what he says. He will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots to the stream. Think about the contrast of that for a minute. I trust and put my confidence in the things of man. I live like a bush in the wasteland, in the salt land where there is no life. I trust and I put my confidence in the Lord, and my roots run deep to the stream, and it draws life. What's the giant difference? Is it how many great things you do, the morality of your life and the perfection of it, how many times you show up at church, how many times a week you read your Bible, how many times a week you make the right sacrifice, then you draw life? It's not there at all. What he says is, the difference is putting your hope and confidence and trust in the Lord. That's the key. 
It's not a series of moral steps that we take in order to get better. It's just believing that you can and never will do it. And so we relinquish control of our lives and we hand it over to the Lord and we say, God, I believe that you are who you say you are and whatever you bring me will be enough. And guess what happens? Our roots begin to run deep to the stream. They run deep to a source of life. Do you see what God says? He says, when you trust in him, you will have life. When you don't trust in him, you will be desperate. I have lived a lot of my life in desperation. Dry. Just get one drink of water and go right back to chasing me. Trusting in the Lord. But here's what I really want you to see this morning. I want you to see what this looks like. Because what it looks like is unbelievable. It's staggering and it's messed me up all week. He says this. He says, it'll be like a tree planted by the water. Now listen to this. He says, it sends its roots to the stream. And it does not fear when the heat comes because its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of doubt, in a year of drought, and it never fails to bear fruit. So someone that trusts in the Lord puts their confidence in him. His roots run deep. They attach to the stream. It draws life. And then Jeremiah says this, when the heat comes, he will have no fear. And when the year of drought comes, he will not worry because his leaves will be green and he will bear fruit. You know what Jeremiah doesn't say? That when you trust in the Lord, he will shower upon you gold and silver and all of your wildest dreams will come true. He doesn't say that the year of blessing will be upon you and all of your financial struggles will be at ease. It is not a prosperity gospel. It is not one that says when you trust in the Lord, God will give you everything that you want. You know what he actually says there? He says that when you trust in the Lord, the heat's coming and so is the drought. They're both coming. You don't get to avoid it. A prosperity gospel that teaches that those things don't exist when you put your confidence in the Lord is a lie. Because here's the thing. Heat comes. There will be a day where you feel like you can't walk in it. It's so unbearable. And the year of drought will come. But notice the difference. Someone who trusts in themselves and puts their confidence in things of man dies in the desert. But the one that trusts and believes in the Lord, whose roots run deep to the stream, two things happen. They don't fear. When the day of the heat comes, I'm not afraid. Think about what that means for a moment. That when life gets overwhelmingly hard, when that day just piles upon you and all of your anxieties begin to build and fear begins to swamp your heart, the person that has their lives rooted in the Lord and trusts in him, those things don't wash over. Their leaves are green. You know how nice and incredible it would be that when the day of heat comes to not be afraid? And look, your day of heat may be, you may be sitting in it. Or maybe tomorrow. But sometimes that's that one temporary moment. I'm not afraid. This isn't it. It doesn't win. But what's even more spectacular for me is what follows that. Because a day of heat oftentimes leads to a year of drought. There will be seasons in your life that really are awful. There are going to be seasons in your life that are hard to explain, that are really difficult. There will be seasons of financial struggle in your life. There will be seasons of marital struggle in your life. There will be seasons of struggle at work. There will be seasons of drought where you just feel like it is hard. Days of heat lead to seasons of drought. But you know what he says there? He says, when those years of drought come, you will not worry. You will not worry. 
You never fail, and you bear fruit. Most of our lives are marked with worry and anxiety. They're hallmarks of who we are. We are worrying people. And a lot of the things we worry about are real. I'm not trying to downplay them. But they scar us, and they mold us, and they drive us away from a relationship that trusts the Lord. Do you know how deeply I long for a life that when the season of drought begins, I don't worry? That when I don't know what's coming in the next three months or three weeks or how I get past Christmas, that I don't worry? That I'm not driven by the fear of what may come next? But that instead I'm anchored deeply into the waters of the Lord and I know that even in the series and season of doubt, He will bear fruit in me. In other words, he will do the impossible. Because guess what? Trees don't bear fruit in the drought. They cinch up and store all their resources to try and stay alive, which is exactly what we do when life gets hard. We cinch up everything that we've got. We draw it closer to ourselves so that we can merely survive. And merely surviving is not the call of someone who follows the Lord. But when the year of drought comes, when the days of heat come, the person that believes and trusts the Lord actually does the opposite. They release. Because I'm not worried about water. I'm not worried about drying up and dying. I'm not worried that the Lord is going to take everything from me. It's all his anyway. And when I release those things, it allows fruit to grow and to bear in my life. And it's miraculous. Because everybody around you can say, how are you so joyful? How are you at peace? Because I'm not afraid and I don't worry because my roots are connected to a God who has never failed me. He has never left me. He has never forsaken me. And he promises me incredible things. The difference in these two scenarios, one trusts in the Lord and one trusts in me. And all those things that you can define for yourself of what it means to trust the Lord. I'm not talking about singular person. I'm just talking about stuff and ways and things and our own means and whatever that is for you. I don't know about you, but when I think about the next year and our upcoming year, I don't really want to remain where I am. I'm not interested. I've lived a lot of my life, as most of us have, anchored in sort of the mediocrity of our spiritual lives. Relatively content. I don't want to be there anymore. When I think about 2020 and even stepping into this new season of Advent, I want to be a part of a life that is spiritually growing. So when I think about vision for 2020, we start talking about it. The word that anchors sort of who we want to be as a community is one of growth. I'm not talking about numerical growth. I'm not talking about financial growth. I'm not talking about physical growth of any, any kind. Not because those things don't matter, but because they really don't matter. I'm talking about deep, real spiritual growth. Following the Lord for 27 plus years, or whatever it is now for me. I'm not content where I am. I want to be at a place where I'm anchored and rooted so deep <clears throat> that in those days of heat and the years of drought, I'm not afraid and I don't worry. And instead of just living there, I actually have green leaves and bear fruit. That I release control of all the fears and anxiety in me because I trust and believe that God is who he says he is. I want to grow spiritually. 
And I want to be a part of a church that's committed to growing spiritually. I not want us to be content with where we are. In 2020, we're going to be opening up new opportunities to press and push ourselves to go deeper in our relationship with the Lord, deeper with real and true marriages, deeper with real and true friendships. Pressing ourselves into deep, meaningful relationships with the Lord, with the church, and with people. And you're going to hear us talk about it for the next three weeks. We are not going to be content to just show up here on Sunday and say, God, you are good. But we're going to say, God, we want to know you more. We want to be sent by you and be active. And we want to release control of our fear-filled lives to you so that we would trust in you. So not just when the year of drought and the days of heat come, but so that every waking moment of my life, I am in love with every breath. If you are living in a place of drought and dryness and desperation, then this is the church for you. Because none of us have figured it out. And I would venture to say, if you are perfectly content in your spiritual life, I would love for you to raise your hand, but don't. Because I'll call you out. Because none of us are. Yet we've allowed our hearts to be relaxed there. And we wonder why we feel like we're desperate and dry with seasons of drought and struggle, clinging to every drop of water as as if it's all we've got left. It's not what we were created for. We were created to have these deep, incredible roots that are connected to the living water of a God who has given his son so that we might know him fully. So that we could trust and believe that he is who he says he is and not put our hope in our bank accounts and in all the relationships that we have and the things that man has made. And even in our own ability to do whatever it is we think we can do. That leads us to a place of dryness and wasteland and a bush in the desert. I'm not interested in that. I want to push myself to go, God, I want to know you depart from me and for my family and for my children and for the church I'm a part of. And so this year as we think about our year, we want to be about spiritual growth. We want to begin to trust in God more and we just want to see what God does. We're not going to dictate a path for him and say by 2020 we're going to have 20 of these and 20 of these and 20 of these. I don't really care. We're just going to say, God, we want to press into you and we want to see what you're going to do in us and we fully trust you what you're going to do in our families, what you're going to do in our marriages, how you're going to restore those, how you're going to bind up brokenness, and how when things go crazy and hard and difficult, we are just going to draw true life with green leaves and real fruit because we release as opposed to cinching up. I don't know where you are, but that's who we want to become. And so as we think about this upcoming year, this is the places that we're going. And you're going to hear us over the next few weeks expound on that and talk about unity and meaningful relationships as we explore what it might mean to have a a church built on people that have deep roots that are connecting the living water of a holy and mighty and majestic God. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for the reality that your life is better than anything we could offer. That life in you is joy-filled and it's abundant and it's true. And that, God, we've exchanged that for a lot of lies and a lot of misgivings and a lot of fears and a lot of anxieties. For a lot of us, our spiritual lives are shells of what we want them to be. But, God, you offer us this incredible access to you through Jesus Christ. 
We put our hope and our faith in Jesus. We have access to eternal God where we have no more fear and no more worry and no more anxiety because we are rooted to the promises that you will never leave nor forsake. And you are the one that gives life. And God, we are not content to live in the desert. We're not content to live in a dehydrated wasteland where no one lives that's filled with salt and death. But the truth is most of us has anchored our lives there. We're wondering why we feel restless and peaceless and empty. Because God, you have promised that you will remove your blessing when we live in disobedience. And so if some of us are living in that place, we need to ask ourselves, what is it that I need to trust the Lord with? How do I turn back in obedience to him and believe that he is enough for me? And that when we do, you don't promise to rain things from the sky. What you promise is deep, true, real life. And then when the day of heat comes, we're not afraid. And when the year of the drought shows up, we're not worried. Because you give our lives green leaves and real fruit. And we release to you what is truly yours. And every breath and every moment is filled with hope, joy, and purpose. God, we want to push ourselves headlong into a relationship with you. We want to grow as individuals, as families, as husbands and wives, as singles, as children, as a church, into a deep, incredible, real, true relationship with you that trusts in you alone and whose confidence is in you alone. We want to put in root, and we want to grow deep. As we close our time in worship this morning, God, I pray that you would hear our hearts, that you would convict us where we need to be convicted, that we would confess what we need to confess, and that we would lay before you what is truly yours. Let's stand together and close our time in worship.